Hey everyone and welcome to the Orthodox School Podcast. It's your host Kyle Bumgarner and this is our last episode of season two and uh, we really went out with a bang on this one. I got to talk with Charles Holmes Jr. and uh, Charles is an amazing uh, man of God, uh, just an incredible thinker, writer, um, minister. He works um, for the Summit Church in the Raleigh-Durham area uh, working with uh, the historically black colleges and universities or HBCUs in the area. And uh, we, I, as someone who also works at an HBCU, we got to talk about um, just college ministry in general and, and how um, college ministry looks different at HBCUs and what uh, Gen Z is asking about faith and, and justice and uh, all these different kinds of questions. Uh, it's an amazing episode. I'm excited for you all to hear it. Uh, and uh, if you would, just, you know, as usual, like, rate, and subscribe. And let's jump into this episode with Charles Holmes Jr. Welcome back to the Orthodox School Podcast. This is your host, Kyle Bumgarner, and I'm joined by uh, a great guest today, Mr. Charles Holmes Jr. So Charles is on the director team at uh, Summit Church in Raleigh-Durham area. He works uh, specifically with uh, ministries at HBCUs in the area. He's a graduate of Liberty University, and he is married with one beautiful daughter. So Charles, thank you so much for being on the podcast. And thank you for having me, man. Super excited to be here and uh, and have a good conversation. For sure. So, Charles, uh, can you tell us uh, or can you give us a brief overview of your uh, kind of spiritual and theological journey? Yeah, for sure. So, um, man, it's kind of funny. So, as you mentioned in the intro, uh, I went to Liberty University. Um, and so when I was at Liberty, uh, um, I got I'm excited I to hear about your experience here, by the yeah, way. Yeah, <laughs> man, it's uh, it's it's definitely complex. Um, but I will say this: I met um some great friends at Liberty, um, uh-huh. some lifelong friends. I met my wife at Liberty, hmm. and so uh, I had a great experience with like my friends and my community. So hmm. that was that was really dope. I, I I loved it. Obviously, like there's some other stuff that that happened that that that, that happened at Liberty that is happening at Liberty that. Hmm is a mess, but I, I had a great experience though. Right. Um, but yeah, man, so when I was at Liberty, uh, I started, that's when I really started following Jesus seriously, um, like sophomore, junior year of college. Um, and man, really in kind of like my early years of following Jesus, um, man, I got introduced to Reformed theology. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I kind of had a, a season of what they call cage Calvinist days. Oh no. Where, yeah, yeah. I was you were a cage stager? I was, I was, man. I got super passionate and man, I would, I mean, man, I bought, I did, I did the whole thing. I got my ESV study Bible. I was listening to John Piper like every week. I was, mm-hmm. it was Matt Chandler. It was, I mean, all these guys. And so um now I really fell in love with God's word during that time. And and so that's what really kind of got me into theology, got me into the Bible, it gave me a love for the Bible like I never had before. Like before that, I had no interest in um, in the Bible like that. And so uh, Reformed theology really kind of gave me a good foundation. And so mm-hmm. um, I kind of got sucked into that world. Um, and so when I, when I think about Reformed theology, I often kind of break it up in two ways. There's 
the th theological side that has some like really beautiful things about it. But then there's like the culture side, right? That mm -hmm. yeah. um, that uh, can sometimes not reflect the beautiful theology, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, I kind of got sucked into both worlds. I was very passionate about theology, but as my wife would say, I was a jerk, right? So I, I, I love Jesus, but also was love. I love being a jerk. <laughs> and so um, and so for a few years, uh, I really struggled with kind of this, like, I, I love theology, I had a high view of God's sovereignty, all of that. But man, my character still was kind of like, mm. was kind of iffy, right? I was mm -hmm. still angry. I was still, um, and I kind of like turned my anger, or better yet, I was very passionate about theology. And I kind of hid my anger behind being really passionate mm. and zealous about doctrine. Mm -hmm. So I'm always getting arguments with people, fights with yeah. people. Um, and so uh, when I think about like when I was reformed, I was again, really passionate about theology, but it wasn't kind of, it, it wasn't having any effect on my actual life and my character right. and my discipleship mm -hmm. to Jesus um, and become, be, becoming more like Jesus. Um, and so, man, after like being in that world for about four, five years, uh, man, the Lord really started to do a work um, just in my heart. I started to have, I started to get a lot of questions about the reform, like reform culture. I started to ask a lot of questions. I started to wonder things. I started to think through like, man, why does like this theology uh, that has a beautiful high view of God's sovereignty, why is it like leading me <laughs> towards like anger and uh, kind of like this like weird zeal that really is kind of, um, that really isn't healthy. Like, mm -hmm. it, like, I, like I love, so one of the things I tell people all the time, one of the things that I love about Reformed Theology is that it really did, it, it, it gave me, it helped me understand the gospel and it gave me a love for the Bible. Um, but for me, and I know, you know, everyone has a different experience, but for me, it didn't really help me walk closely with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I started asking questions. I started doing some, just like just reading books outside of the Reformed tribe. Um, and that's what kind of, man, led me to a place of, for about a year and a half, a place of kind of like, I was kind of on an island where I didn't, I didn't know what I was. I was like, man, I don't know if I'm reformed. I don't know if I'm this. I don't know if I'm that. Mm -hmm. um, but then I kind of stumbled upon uh, different voices, different books that really began to shape um, my walk with Jesus um, and really started to like help me focus more so um, not just on dog dogmas or like doctrine but focus on like the person of jesus mm -hmm. the work of the holy spirit um and started reading guys like rich velotis or john mark homer oh. john tyson like yeah like some of these guys you know um started listening to yes. uh you know some some of my favorite like black preachers like charlie dates and uh, like it's just i started to really kind of listen to other voices who were still i mean obviously still evangelical still orthodox of course but we're just kind of a little bit outside of your normal reform tribe um, and those guys man really helped me to kind of form a, a holistic robust understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and to integrate emotional health right to integrate things like silence silence and solitude to integrate things like Sabbath and rest um, and just understanding that um, to follow Jesus means that like we need to care not just about what we know but also like who we are and who we're becoming um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of like my spiritual journey. So that's kind of like the place I'm at now mm -hmm. where I don't, I, I, I kind of reject labels. I don't really don't like being labeled by anything. And so I don't, I wouldn't say that I'm reformed or I'm this or that. I would say 
I have found the beauty in so many things and all of those things are hopefully centered around the person of Jesus and his work. Um, and, you know, I appreciate my days in, you know, being in reformed world and the love it gave me for God's word and the gospel. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily, uh, you know, characterize myself as like a reformed person. Um, and I don't even know why I say reformed person like that. It's in my head. I picture that's what reformed people are like. Um, and so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's kind of where I'm at, where I am now. So, yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. Um, it sounds like you could be an orthodoxical. I know you're injecting labels now. <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. I gotta, I gotta give that that self plug in there for sure. Hey, I mean, I, I, I love, I love what you do, man. I love that language because I think, man, putting one of the things I have found is, is I have found uh, orthodoxy to be now more beautiful, mm-hmm. um, and not just about these kind of core teachings that we just believe, but actually, like these are things that, uh, man, make us who make us into who we are, um, and they're they're beautiful teachings that help us to follow our beautiful savior. So I love your language and what you do, man. It's good. That's so good. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. Just, uh, just curious. So when you, when you were growing up, did you grow up in church? I did. Well, so it's complicated. Yes and no. So I grew up in the black church, um, but my family, we, we didn't go every Sunday. Mm. Um, but my mom sung in the choir. My dad was an usher sometimes. Like, so we were kind of like, I mean, we were, we were in church, but, um, we were kind of like your regular family, right? you know, we, you know, it wasn't like, we weren't necessarily like, con- like there every single week, every single day, yeah. all that kind of stuff. So, okay. And so, uh, cause I'm just curious and, and I wonder if this is maybe an experience that you had as well, um, is so like, I kind of grew up in, I grew up in a church that was like technically a Southern Baptist church, but really mm-hmm. in so many ways, just kind of was doing like the non-denominational seeker sensitive kind of thing. And so a lot of the theology that I got from like middle to high school and kind of those formative years and, and really the ministry that I was, mm-hmm. I was involved with a ministry called Young Life and the ministry that I was involved mm-hmm. with was all, a lot of it was very, um, a lot of it was very like emotion based and it was a lot of like feeling mm-hmm. kind of, you know, like God, God is for you and, and kind of just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, centered on your ba- very basic uh, like relationship with God. And then I think like there came a point when I was in college where like, kind of like you said, like you're asking questions, you're looking to go deeper. And then reformed theology just has like a very uh, uh, robust uh academic sort of mm-hmm. mentally precise way of doing theology that I think for people that are in that space where they're like, this isn't enough. I, I really need, mm-hmm. you know, I, I need something more quote unquote, or like, you know, like I've, I've already asked like my basic questions. Like I don't need to know mm-hmm. about, you know, God's like grace or, you know, right. I, I don't need to, it's like you start to get rid of, away from the, like the basic questions of, Oh, mm-hmm. I know that God loves me. I know that he died mm-hmm. for my sins, blah, blah, blah how does that work or what does that look like it's right like, right and then along comes people hand you these these tools mm-hmm. and say well here's the the tools to know how to do it but there's not necessarily you haven't built that like that framework of critical interrogation of like okay like is this mm-hmm. it just kind of is handed as like the way if that makes sense right right like, right right that you've experienced or yeah so i think in my upbringing uh, like growing up in a black church there was a a high view of um like a high view of like god like one like god being there for you right kind of like that language of like i so i knew growing up that god was interested in a relationship with me like i knew 
that God was for me. I knew even like thinking about because uh, in the church I grew up in, there was a um, like a a, a, um, a close connection to uh, like the gospel that we were getting, but also like the black experience and black history that mm. we knew about. And those two things were tied together. So I had like a really growing up, I had a pretty good foundation of like, I know that God is for me. Um, I think for me, what, what really happened was when I went to Liberty and I got around and I started meeting other people and started listening to these reform guys and all that kind of stuff. I think what happened was there was language that I started to learn mm -hmm. and I started to be like, man, like I didn't, like, I didn't learn this like language, like God's sovereignty. Like I knew God was in control, but I didn't know right. words like God's sovereignty. I, I remember literally like hearing that word and being like, how do you spell that? I don't even know what that means. I don't know what right. that is. So I started learning all these different languages, like substitutionary atonement and all these different things. And I kind of had this reaction of like, man, my church didn't teach me none of this stuff. Right. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And so, and that's what really kind of, Right. And so that's what really got me like kind of like uh, pulled into the reform world because mm -hmm. I was like kind of angry, like, man, like I didn't I'm looking at my pastors back home like y'all didn't teach me none of these words. Like I mm -hmm. like I, I didn't I, like I didn't understand the gospel, but it, but that wasn't necessarily true. Uh, it's just that, you know, in the, in, the, in the black experience and in the black church, a lot of the discipleship is experiential. Right. Like mm -hmm. a lot of it is right. is passed down. It's handed to you. Um, it's something that's embedded in our culture, in our lifestyle, everything like that. Um, and so this, when I went to Liberty, I learned all those, all that language. I fell in love with like theology and I, and I fell in love with just the tradition of reformed theology. Um, but again, it gave me, it kind of, you know, it boosted my theological ego and, you know, made me a, the it gave me a theological mind, but it didn't have any effect on my, like my spiritual formation you know, uh, or on my like character, if you will, it just kind of made me fall in love with theology, which again, I still really deeply appreciate. Like, like I, I'm not one who like trashes reformed theology or I still, I mean, I still appreciate John Piper. I still love, you know, some of, I, 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 mean, I still love uh, R.C. Sproul. Like th these guys really gave me a, 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 a foundation of like loving God's word. Um, it's just that, you know, they're, for me, I understand now that they're not like, the only right <laughs> you know the only thing yeah, yeah exactly exactly so um yeah. so yeah gotcha yeah i have i had a, a really interesting relationship with reformed theology just because i think there were parts of it kind of like you said that i thought were really amazing mm -hmm. like the focus on theology and the bible and the, the sort of academic but then there are also things i think just like practically and the way practically the way they they played out and just even some of the theological tenets where i was kind of like just it just didn't quite sit right with me like a lot of the right. talk around like predestination just really come mm -hmm. up like I don't love that and so like, <laughs> right, 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 right. people would talk about it I'd be like nope I don't know I'm yeah. not. So, like, I was never quite like a hundred percent in on right. all these guys except for like I mean Tim Keller's like Tim Keller's the yeah. one I never had so he's kind right, of like right right real reform person that I, I still <laughs> off from a lot, but yeah, a lot of those other guys. So right. good for but you even with, being a reformed basher. Cause I, yeah, yeah. I, I every now and yeah, then. yeah. Hey, hey, there's a hey, man, there's, there's grace for all of us. We all, <laughs> like, you know, we, and it, I mean, here's the thing, man, I, I, I get it because I, when I, when I started to move away from reformed theology, I also had the reaction of man, reformed theology, I feel like made me into an angry person or made me into <laughs> Uh, it, it made me make a lot of decisions that really weren't healthy for me, but I thought right. they were the right decisions because this is what I was taught in 
uh, taught from reform theology or whatever. And so I had that, re that reaction early on as well. And I still sometimes am like, man, I can't believe I, I like my wife will tell me things I used to say. And, uh, you know, my wife, she got saved in a very charismatic background. Mm -hmm. So we used to argue all the time about, <laughs> she, she never, she was never for Calvinism or reform. She always thought it was like complete hogwash. And so we used to go <laughs> back and forth. And, and now she'll tell me, do you know, uh, you you said this or you said and I'm like man I'm so sorry like thing is I mean bro I, I've I've gone back like legit I've gone back and apologized to people because of how just I mean and again I extend grace to myself I was zealous I was young but man I was a jerk man I was mean and again not everyone who you know is reformed is like that you know that's that's my story but. Um, I think everyone can admit that there's definitely there's a reason why there's a term called cage Calvinist. Like there's there's definitely a culture that 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 does exist. Just like there's a there's a culture that exists in every tribe and every right. single yeah. you know theological tradition. I just think that culture. I was I, I think I was more committed to that culture than I was to <laughs> to Jesus right. um, yeah. at, at the time. And so uh, so yeah, man. So, so fast forward, and now you're working for uh, Summit Church, which is kind mm -hmm. of a, a really big flagship church. For those who mm -hmm. don't know, really big flagship church for mm -hmm. uh, the Southern Baptist Convention. And you are doing work specifically with college students and even more mm -hmm. specifically working with um, some of the, the HBCUs in, in the area. So how did you uh, end up in, in that position? Yeah, man. So uh, that story began six years ago. So six years ago, when I graduated from Liberty, my wife and I did an internship at a church plant in the inner city of Durham. Um, and part of my internship was being a college director for the church plant. Um, and so the church was right next to NCCU, which is uh, North Carolina Central University, which is an HBCU in Durham. And so I did ministry. So me and my wife started a college ministry on campus. We did Bible studies every Sunday night and was discipling students. And it was through that process that I really gained a love for HBCU ministry and college students like literally I I mean it like through that man I was like I could give my entire life to this like I I, I believe in this I, I love this um, but it was just a two-year internship and so after my two years um, I actually moved out of I moved from North Carolina back to uh, from where I'm, where I'm from Northern Virginia DC area and I became Wait, where a youth you from? Pastor. so I'm from Woodbridge Virginia dude I'm from Stafford Oh man, look at that. Man, that's crazy. <laughs> that's that? crazy. That's, awesome. that's crazy. What, what what high school did you go to? North Stafford. Oh man, I went to Potomac Senior High School in Dumfries. Dang, the Panthers. Yeah, <laughs> the Panthers. Yeah, man. What, what year did you graduate? Uh 2012. Okay, I graduated 2010, man. That's man, wow, that's uh that's pretty crazy, man. Hey, so you know um, you know the Nova area a little bit. Oh yeah, man. The DMV, <laughs> man. Uh born and raised, man, Woodbridge, Virginia. I don't but know. Yeah, so, two up, two down on the podcast. Yeah, Come on. That's that's a hey man. VA man. I it, it, it has my heart, man. It has my heart. Um, yeah. yeah. So so from there, so I actually moved back there to be a youth pastor at McLean Bible Church in. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, okay. Area. So I was a, I was a youth pastor there, man, for uh, three years, and uh, you know just did faithful work there, um, and uh, was discipling students, and uh, actually got there like a month after David Platt had become the, the, uh, the pastor there. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was, I got there during a lot of transition, but, um, it was a good three years. And then, um, after that, man, me and my wife, we, uh, we knew that our time at McLean was coming to an end. And so we started praying. We did a fast at the beginning of 2020 
And uh, we just prayed and sought the Lord, man. And uh, crazy story, the college pastor here at the summit, Wes, he had texted me like a year prior in like 2019, telling me, telling me about the HBCU college director role in Summit College. And I totally was like, nah, man, I'm at, <laughs> I'm at McLean. I'm called here to be a youth pastor. Totally like disregarded him. I don't even know if I texted him back. Uh, we laughed about it now. But after me and my wife was fasting and praying in 2020 of January, I randomly one day was in the office, looked up some uh, Summit Church and like just like looked at job openings just out of like, not even because I was looking for a job. I literally just was like, I don't know what Summit is up to now. And I go on their website and I see HBCU College Director. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. And this is like the last week of my fast too. And so I text Wes, who had texted me like six months prior. And I was like, hey man, is that a HBCU job still open? Just out of curiosity, I'm just wondering. He was like, yep. And so, uh, man, I went home and I told my wife and uh, I showed her the job description. She was like, Charles, this is you. Like, mm -hmm. you're passionate about, th this is you. Like, this this literally says Charles Holmes. Mm -hmm. And so I called Wes, went through the interview process, and then uh, we moved. It's crazy, man. We moved from Virginia to North Carolina literally the beginning of the pandemic. Like, everything oh, wow. was shutting down as we were. Like, I didn't, I, so like, when it was like the early on, like, I didn't know if we were going to be allowed to cross state lines. Like, you know, right. everything yeah. was shutting yeah. down. Like, no, no one knew, like, what does this mean? Like, are we, are, are cops going to stop us? Right, yeah. And we like, right, right in the beginning of the pandemic, mm. pandemic, man, it was crazy, man. We had to like, you know, we couldn't go visit any houses. We had to just like, yeah. we just had to look online and just guess. And so the Lord provided, <laughs> the Lord, the Lord, the Lord provided in crazy ways. Yeah. And we, we moved. And so, um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up being in the role, but it's, it's crazy. The, uh, the only reason why Wes reached out to me in the first place was because he knew, uh, that I had lived down here before and I had connections with the summit. Cause I did like a, a internship with the summit one time while I was the college director early on. And so he remembered that. And that's, that's why he like reached out to me again. So totally crazy, totally a God thing. But, um, but that's kind of how I ended back here doing HBCU ministry again. Wow. So wait, your so your whole first year of ministry has been through the pandemic. Through the pandemic, man. It's yeah. been it is it's been gotta be all downhill from here then, right? Oh bro, it, <laughs> right? it's been bro. I literally, I mean, I'm talking like came down here, I have a team, and we just been and another guy who's leading at the in the same college ministry as me with the HBCUs, it's his first year. He moved from Texas and came here. So I've been leading them. And man, I think uh for me, I'm like, okay, I led through a pandemic. I can lead through anything. <laughs> I can lead through. I can. I can do anything. Like, like, like. And so it's been crazy, man. But the Lord's been good, man. I, I mean, a lot of cool things have have happened in the past past year. Even doing with doing ministry online and not really being able to be on campus. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. So it sounds like I think again, you and I kind of had a bit of a similar experience. So I worked. Um, I was a volunteer ministry leader um, with Young Life at, at, during my undergrad years. And um, a year after I was, or, you know, like a couple of years after I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life essentially. And so I ended up settling on, on higher education, which is what, so my dad actually works at Nova Woodbridge. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow, awesome. Um, so he, so, you know, I, I talked to him a little bit about higher ed and, um, and then my mom's actually a, a licensed counselor, um, a mental health counselor. And so was looking for something that would kind of marry both of those things eventually and, and ended up picking career counseling. And so I ended, um, ended up going to grad school for that, graduated uh, last May in the middle of the pandemic. So oh, that, wow. was, that was also fun. Um, yeah. And the, 
I, I hadn't really worked as I almost exclusively worked with high school students um, mm. and kind of thought like that was where my heart was. Like, I just loved that, that group and stuff like that. And I was like, not really sure. I was like college kids. Like I was a college kid. I've been around them. Like they're kind of knuckleheads, mm. you know, J, JMU where I went is a huge party school. And so I was kind of like, I don't know if I want to be around people like that. And then just like getting to work with students at, um, at Virginia Commonwealth where I did my mm. grad program was like eye-opening I was like college kids are the best yeah they're they're so fun and they're so smart and they're at such like a crucial stage of development and and just I love getting to to see kind of how they process things and pour into things and so I, I would be curious to hear your take. Like, why to you um, is is college ministry so important to the to the body of Christ? Um, and, yeah. and all the places that we could be focusing our attention, whether it's like little kids and Sunday school or high schoolers or you know older right. adults and stuff like that. Like, why why does college ministry um, important to the body? Yeah, man, I think so. A couple of reasons. One, uh, if if you look at, at church history, like like every great movement, almost every great movement that has happened. Um, in America has, has, has started among young people or like col- or college age people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, man, I think that age group, uh, man, I think one, when they get a hold of Jesus and they see how good he is and they, they really get serious about following him, man, they really, there's like a, a vibrancy and excitement that comes with them just because they are, they're young and they really, young people tend to like, they really believe like in what they believe in, right? Because, you know, uh, they're, because they're young and they just they man, they're zealous for what they believe in, all that kind of stuff. So I would say that that's one. But then two, man, I think that age group, uh, man, they just have a lot of, of questions uh, at that age. Um, and for me, I love, I love engaging questions. I love engaging people who think well about things, who challenge things, who, who push back on things. I love engaging students who, um, you know, who don't, who aren't Christians, who didn't grow up Christian. Um, and I mean, you, you think about a college campus. I mean, you got kids coming from all over the world, all over the United States, coming from different backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, different belief systems, different values. Um, and so for me, man, I just get excited about um, engaging those questions. Um, and then also, man, uh, man, they're, they're, they're going to school for a reason, right? They're going because they want to achieve or they want to go do this career, whether it's be a doctor, a lawyer, engineer, a nurse, whatever it is. And so I, mean, I think about the opportunity that um, the opportunity for the kingdom of God to advance through people's careers. Uh, I just think, man, that's a huge missional opportunity um, is to see when students fall in love with Jesus is to see them leverage their giftings, their talents, their passions, their, um, their academics, their careers uh, for the kingdom of God, right? To advance the gospel, to seek and do justice, um, man, to just engage the, the culture and the world um, for Jesus and to, use, and to leverage their careers for that. And so, man, I just think it's a, um, I just think, man, there's so much kingdom potential and the harvest is so plentiful yeah. on college campus. I mean, you, I, mean there's, I think there's like over 100,000 college students in the RDU area between like mm-hmm. Duke and UNC and State and NCCU and Shaw and Meredith and all these schools. It's like, man, it's a huge mission field, right? And so, man, I just, I, I think just the opportunity there, man, to advance God's kingdom, to send students into the world 
um, man, to, you know, and again, to proclaim the gospel, to seek and do justice. And also I would say, man, this generation, Generation Z coming up, they, they are, they're kind of like millennials from the standpoint of they are really cost oriented, right? So they want to, they want to make their lives count. They want to impact the world. They want to do something big. They want to do something that's bigger than themselves. Uh, and I would even say for Gen Z, where they're different from millennials is, uh, and I'm a millennial, so I can like, I can, I can say this about our generation, I think. Um, I, I think millennials, like we, and we intended to do a lot of good. And we, st- and we are, we are, we're doing a lot of good, but I feel like Gen Z really, really attends to, to, oh, yeah. to actually, to they, actually bring they don't change. Play around. Right. Like, they we, don't play. We, were, we were a big, we talked a big game, but I think right, like, right. Uh, we're going to put up or shut up. Yeah, exactly. Like they, I mean, you look at the past year with uh, all of the protests and all of the um, just the things that, man, I mean, all, most of the protests were led by Gen Z, right? Like, I mean, they are on the front lines, really trying to make this world more just. And, and so, man, I think the opportunity for the church to engage that generation um, is going to be huge. And I would say because the next generation is so, um, not only are they cause oriented, man, they're very truthful and honest about things. And so I even think that the church has uh, has an opportunity to lead out in repentance um, and humility um, before this next generation. Because this next generation, man, they, they call out on things, right? They, they say, hey, the church has failed with abuse, with justice, with race, racial issues. Like the church has failed. And I think for us, man, we have an opportunity to be like, you know what, guys, you're right. We repent. We are, we're going to take the, the road of humility, the way of the cross. And I think it's going to be through that, man, that we're going to be able to reach them and then mobilize them into the world. Cause man, they're, they're ready. I think they're ready to go, man. Um, we just got, I think we just got to, we got to catch up to them. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> right. um, and so that, that's what makes me excited about working with college students, man. They, yeah, they're passionate and, and they, man, they have a, a, a zeal for justice um, in a way that I just feel like previous generations um, have it, you know? So mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally true. So for those who are listening to this and don't know, so I work um, at a school not far from where, where Charles is, um, and I work as a career counselor. And, and I just echo everything that you said, man. It's getting, getting students, for me particularly in the work that I do, like I'm helping students, you know, figure out like, okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to major in? But mm-hmm. beneath those questions are the questions of like, what am I good at? What am I not good at? What are my gifts? What are my, what are, what have my experiences led me to care about? Why, um, you know, why am I so drawn to this particular thing? And like helping students answer those questions, there is literally nothing better in my, in my own personal experience to, to like helping a student walk through that. And so I'm, I'm sure that you've had similar experiences of like helping students answer those questions of, of who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose and stuff like that. Totally. When you see a student get it and they start to own it, man, it is just incredible. It's so oh, totally, man. Every every student that I've talked to this year, man, um, I kid you not, almost every student, um, each of them have these just uh, audacious dreams and right. goals to want to yeah. like achieve greatness and to impact uh, the world and even their campus. I mean, there's one kid who I who I walk with, and he's like, man, I wanna, I wanna. He's like, he's he's about to be the um, like a, the president of, of some organization. And he's like, man, I want to change the campus for, you know, X, Y, Z reasons. And I'm just like, 
this kid is 19 years old and he's talking about whatever. I mean, there's another kid who I, who I walk with. He wants to start a community center in his, the community that he grew up with so that kids aren't out in the streets doing whatever, but they're doing like, they're playing sports and they're getting tutored. And I'm just like, I mean, these kids are thinking, they're thinking like this at night, 18, 19, 20 years old. When I was 18, 19, I was not thinking about this kind of stuff. Nope. I, I was thinking about <laughs> Lord knows what, you know what I'm saying? And so this generation, man, they're different, man. They're different. For sure, man, for sure. And so I think another thing that um, is kind of different for both you and for me um, is that you, so you work primarily um, in, in Durham at uh, mm-hmm. North Carolina Central, which is an HBCU. And I also work, uh, the university I work at is an HBCU. Um, yet we both attended uh, PWI or pred- uh, predominantly mm-hmm. white institutions for undergrad. So what would you say you have noticed um, in doing college ministry um, at an HBCU and then being involved in it in undergrad at a PWI? What are some of the differences that you've noticed between those types of institutions? Yeah, man, I think the big difference, man, is uh, HBCU students, um, you know, they're choosing to go to a historically black college or university um, like for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. I think when a black student chooses to go to Central or to Fayetteville State or whatever, um, I think for them, they're thinking about the great lineage, right, mm-hmm. of, of black excellence, if you will, that is in our history, right? They, they have, uh, you know, they have Frederick Douglass in their mind, George Washington Carver or, mm-hmm. or Booker T. Washington. They, you know, they, I mean, they have Fannie, Fannie Lou Hamer. They, they have these great uh people in our history in their mind when they're going to school because they and they want to achieve success and greatness and usually uh, that desire is connected to them wanting to do something good for their community right Mm -hmm. so it's not just they're not just going to school just because that's the right thing to do or just to like be successful and get a lot of money now don't get me wrong some of them are you know um and and some of them do they want to be rich and wealthy and all that kind of stuff. But man, in my experience, a lot of the students, I, right, right, right. A lot of the, right. A lot like of Dogecoin, it's the way. <laughs> right, right, right. right, they all, yeah, Bitcoin, let's go. Yeah, they, they're all, yeah, all into that kind of stuff. And so, of course, at like any 18, 19, 20 year old, they want to be rich. Right. But also, uh, I find, man, a lot of them really just want to, uh, one, bring healing to their community. They want to leverage their careers to do that. Um, you know, uh, there's a term called black excellence, right? And that, and that's not just like an arrogant kind of like, you know, ethnocentric kind of like, you know, way of living. That's like, that comes from a place of, man, we want to rise above the, the stereotypes or the prejudices or whatever that may be, you know, points historical the black community. systemic racism. Right, exactly. We want to rise above that and we want to be more than that. And so uh, I think that's one difference between a student that goes to UNC and a student that goes to North Carolina Central University is that, man, they, I think, I think again, uh, and not to paint a black and white picture, you know, obviously, um, you know, there's white students that go to UNC or whoever go to UNC and they are, they're doing, they're doing it for the same reasons. But I think by and large, um, man, black students are going to HBCU, man, they're going there because they want to impact their community. They want to be around like-minded people and they want to be around other black students who are going after it and trying to achieve success and rise above, um, you know, what this world has often tried, tried to have, have often, often tried to, you know, uh, uh, belittle or, you know, whatever. They're trying to rise above that. And so that's one big difference. Another difference, man, is that 
uh, on an HBCU campus, there's a community and family atmosphere. Yes. You know, you go you go to an HBCU during homecoming. I mean, it's it's nothing like it. Like it's nothing like it. Like there's a family atmosphere. When I talk to administrators at Central, I mean, they have a, a almost like a parent like uh, like parent like feelings towards their students. I mean, they they own like they take ownership of the well being of their students. They care deeply about that. Like you're not going to be able to come on a, on a on an HBCU campus and just like do whatever you want. Like you've got to work with the, administ- the administrators. They, they've got to be able to trust you because again, like it's a family atmosphere, you know, it's a, it's a communal atmosphere. Um, whereas at UNC where there's, you know, 35,000 students, right. I mean, any, I mean, honestly, you can, you can walk on UNC's campus and start whatever you want. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like no one's, there's no, there's no real like checks, check and balances there. Like people are going to, you can go there and start a ministry. It's fine. Man, my first like couple of months here, man, I spent like, uh, like I said, the first couple of months, man, emailing the administration, being like, man, how can we bless y'all? How can we serve the school? It's a crazy time. Can we pay for students' books? Can we? How can we? You know, can we get you guys gift cards? Let us know what we can do because we want to. We not not only do we want to be here to disciple the students, we want to care about the institution as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, black schools, they they're not. Uh, you know, they're, yes, they're there for the students, but also usually, man, they're there for the community. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that's one difference. Even like, and again, that, that's affected the way that I do ministry. For me, I, my ministry, I, I see it as a part of a part of what the school is doing, a part of the institution. I don't see it as like a separate thing. Yeah. I, like I care deeply about the well-being of NCCU. Uh, I, I want NCCU to thrive. I want it to flourish. I want it to grow. I, I care deeply about the school. Um, I want to, you know, like encourage people to give to the school or I believe in the mission of the school, all that kind of stuff. Again, because again, like when you're part of a family, when you're part of an HBCU family, like you are, uh, I mean, you're part of a, a real community. And so those are just some differences, uh, that I find between PWIs and HBCUs. Yeah, definitely, man. I, I would a hundred percent echo the, the family thing, uh, the, or the, the familial feeling is, is yeah. like every, Every time, I mean, this is, this is to me, I was, this was just such a foreign thing to me was that every time even a, a family member of a, of a staff person passed away, mm-hmm. like they, somebody went and got a personalized card and like had everybody in the mm-hmm. whole admitted and like the, not just me or like our particular like student affairs unit, but like everybody and like all the different departments to sign it to just express their condolences right you know their sorrow and their pain and like you have like a retirement party um for for a staff person is like everybody Mm -hmm. goes to it and everybody knows that person and it's it's i was just like man this is awesome right right which more universities had the capability i mean obviously like you you get to a bigger size and some of that stuff is is hard yeah I mean, yeah, just the, the familial aspect of it is, is really special and really mm-hmm. um, something that I think is unique to the, the HBCU experience. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah. and so I'm, I'm curious in, in your work uh, doing ministry uh, specifically with college students, um, how has that been different? And, and when it comes to students you work with, what are, what are some of the common questions or um, faith challenges that yeah. um that you're encountering when you're working with students yeah man um i would say two, two things come to mind the first thing is uh obviously a lot of justice questions mm-hmm. right um a lot of questions around 
um, not, not, you know, does God exist, but like, is God good? Is yeah. he just right? Um, does he care about the, the injustice that we see in our society? Does he care about, um, does he care about black people? Does he care mm-hmm. um, about our history and all that kind of stuff? And so um, I would say those are some, those, those are some big questions around social justice. Uh, what does the Bible have to say about social justice? Um, I, I mean, North Carolina Central, they're really big in, um, doing social justice work and also uh, I mean if you talk to any student most students are involved even even if they're just doing it for community service hours like almost every student is involved in some kind of like local organization that's doing some kind of volunteer work or yeah. justice work um, and again some students are actually passionate about it some students are just doing it to check off a list but almost every student is a part of some kind of justice organization because again that's just embedded in the black experience, right? Like you're going to care about social justice. That's going to be a value of yours. And so um, definitely again, questions around justice. And I also would say, um, and this is actually even connected to your last questions, last question. A lot of students have a lot of questions about um, how God relates to their everyday experiences. Mm. So like, how, how does, how does God, like, does God care about mm. you know, the fact that I, I, I need to get this internship or I need to get mm. this job? Like yeah. it's, it's their, their, they, they, they see that they're like, they see the importance of their faith being connected to all of life, not just their spiritual life, but their physical life, their, you know, their, their, their mental health, their emotional life. Like they, like I, a lot of questions arise around, man, does God care about, you know, the fact that my family is broken or mm. um, does he care about the fact that, uh, man, I need, I'm, I'm considering going to the army so that they can pay for school because I can't do it anymore. Like, mm. like they, they have a lot of questions about, man, is, is God, intera- is he um, active in my actual daily affairs, in my daily mm. life? Um, I would say those are the two big questions like that, that come up often, um, often when, I, when I'm engaging students and things like that. Gotcha. And then kind of, kind of related to that, what are, so what are some of the challenges like students that you work with um, Mm -hmm. have encountered in, in regards to those questions that they're asking or the things that they're running into with their faith? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Man, a lot of the challenges, man, are uh, um, one, I think, man, they, uh, I think there's a, uh, so this is kind of complex and hope that I can explain it well in the black experience, right. There is a, uh, like everyone on campus believes in God, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone right. believes in God. Everyone believes in the Bible. Most uh, students are going to say they're Christians, right? Right. Um, and so I think there is a, and that's a good thing. A lot of people like look at that and kind of like degrade that and say, that's not good. They're not really Christian. They're not really following Jesus. But I, oftentimes I look at that and say, no, that's a good thing. That that says they're something at least about open our, to it, you know? Right, right. They're open to it. And that says something about our history that like, uh, God has always been closely tied to our Black experience, again, for obvious reasons, right? right. Um, and so uh, actually, that's a good thing. However, that does provide some difficulties and challenges because there's sometimes there's sometimes a disconnect between what they believe and then like how they live yeah. and how they kind of bring those two things. Usually those two things are separate. It's right. so like they know that God has a purpose for them, but they also are, you know, they might not be following Jesus you know, at all, you know, right, <laughs> but they yeah. know, but they know that God has a, but they know that God has a purpose for them. Right. Uh-huh. Um, so I said that that's one like kind of missional challenge. I think another challenge is, um, man, I think a lot of students, 
you know, struggle with, again, like just their black identity. So for example, we were walking with a, a girl um, this year and, um, you know, she got involved with um, like black Hebrew Israelites uh -huh. um, and got involved. And, and so I think, I do think there's a sense in which uh, we have to be really uh, careful and serious about um, affirming the, the, the black dignity right in our students yeah. and saying like man the like you were creating an image of god um your your blackness is 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 beautiful and it's good like when god created um like we forget this like when god created the world he said that it was good and when he created image bearers he said it was very good yeah. and so uh we try like we have to affirm the dignity in our black students because i think that's a, a huge challenge to their faith that like if they don't feel like if, if they feel like their blackness is in some ways um, almost like antagonistic towards God or almost like that's a, a roadblock to God, man. We're, it's going to be hard to, to try to help them to walk closely with Jesus if they feel like their blackness, and, and, you know, is kind of a, a hurdle to that. Um, and so I think that's one, that's another challenge that uh, I've seen come up just in the questions and the concerns that students have. Um, I think we really have to affirm the dignity and the, and the value and the intrinsic worth that is in Black people, because again, for Black people, they've we, we have lived in a world where so you know oftentimes people um, and systems are coming against our dignity, right? Right, um, and so I don't but know. There's that a reason question, people but, have yeah. issues connected making the that connection and stuff like that, right? Right, or like for example, like um, you know questions about uh, is God is Christianity a white man's religion, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, is you know. Like, I mean, I'm, 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 I mean, I remember, you know, I go to the Summit Church, right? It's a predominantly white church. We're growing in diversity, growing and trying to become multi-ethnic, but uh, we're still a predominantly white church. Yeah. Um, and I'll never forget, man, one student, I was uh, talking with him on campus and I'll never forget this year. He was like, he was like, man, is your church white? And I was like, um, <laughs> I was like, uh, I was like, yes, yeah. but let me explain. <laughs> and he was like, yo, if your church is white. I'm not going. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not going. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not messing with, I'm not messing with them. Um, yeah. and, and so like, we, like, we come across, you know, challenges like that, where it's like, um, man, like we live in a racially tense world right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for, uh, for black students to come to, uh, come to a predominantly white church is a stretch. You know, I remember, uh, 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 my friend Brian, Brian Loritz, who's a pastor at the summit, I'm, I'm, I was having lunch with him one day. He, he told me, he was like, man, think about this. Why do you, you know, why do you think they chose to go to an HBCU, right? They want to be around black people. So trying to get them to come to a white church, that's going to be hard because they literally, they literally <laughs> yeah. made a, 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 a decision to be right. around black people for, for the next four years of their lives. Right. Um, and so that, that can be, that can be a hurdle. Um, just because again, like, you know, I think, they, they have a perception of how people are going to perceive them, mm -hmm. right? Um, because obviously because of history and uh, and because of the world we live in now. Like we see how- In contemporary things, unfortunately, but- Right, exactly. So um, so those are some of the challenges that um, we face this year that we are facing. Um, so yeah. Yeah, man. And it's it's so tough too, because I think, and I, and I'll say this about, I think this is just true of a lot of things pertaining to college ministry in general, but- What's hard is that there, I feel like there are groups that there are so many groups out there that grasp like a small kernel of truth mm -hmm. and, and then they take it and then they hold it out to students and then students take it and, and they kind of run with it. 
And and I right. see that with you see that with so many different things where it's like, you know, people will be like, well, the church uh, as an institution failed in this particular way. And then, right. you know, they're like, the students are like, hey, you're right. And that person that said that is right. They seem to know what they're talking about. I should follow them. Mm-hmm. And I think it, there's a particularly unique focus um, when it comes to like black identity groups, whether it's Hebrew right. Israelites or comedic science mm-hmm. or um, right. even some of the more like the just groups that are focused around like the, the black radical tradition where it's like, yep. there, there's so much truth there about the way, I mean, like a lot of those groups, I'm like, I agree with a lot of what you say. Right, 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 right. I'm like, you're not wrong. Like the way that our our country has historically and contemporarily treated black folks is, is atrocious, but then it's like right. they take that particular truth to then, and then over apply it to ergo, like Christianity is a false, it's right. a false religion, right. white man's religion or something like that. And, and, and a lot of times, man, they will like, you know, black students or whoever will have a, uh, a, a low view of the Bible because of those things. And the right. thing is something, something I always say, cause I mean, uh, I've been aware of like the, this big, you know, deconstruction, everyone's deconstructing. Right. And I always, and I'm, and, and one of the things I'll always think about is that I think the reason why so many people are deconstructing, deconstructing. And I think a lot, uh, uh, one of the reasons why a lot of black students might question the Bible and all that kind of stuff is because we actually haven't taught the whole Bible and we haven't read the whole Bible uh, because because if we read the whole Bible, we would know that the Bible has a lot to say about racism and social justice. I mean, I mean, you, you can't you can't read the Old Testament prophets and and walk away thinking huh, God is God's indifferent towards uh, towards in, uh, injustice and, right. and racism. Like like it's impossible. You can't read the Gospels and walk away thinking that. Um, and so I think, man, part of the part, part of my commitment is, man, I want to teach the whole counsel of yeah. God. Right. Like Paul, I want to teach the whole Bible so that um, black students and so that everyone can see. Uh, man, Christianity is for all people, and Christianity, uh, man, has its roots in Africa, and you know all this kind of stuff. Like it is not, it is the furthest thing. It's the furthest thing away from a white man's religion. So yeah, and it's. I mean, the it's like there was a reason that a lot like there is a slave Bible where those passages are omitted mm-hmm. because like and and there's a reason why there's not there's not a focus there, and mm-hmm. it's because when you actually read through and you actually see like you said, the full trajectory of where things right. are They're like, and clearly, obviously there are some very challenging passages that we, that we wrestle with and stuff like that, but it's, it's like, you can't just read those parts and then not read the other parts where right. Paul, Paul's talking about like disfellowshipping people for, right, right. he's like, you, like, you're going to get kicked out of the church if you engage in this. Mm-hmm. And if you, and if you're a part of these things and literally even Jesus, when you talk about the great commandment of love your neighbor as yourself, like there's right. no way you can read that and, and look at the, the vast array of American history and be like, right. I think Christians did that well, or I think Christians were actually trying to do that rather than mm-hmm. trying to exploit a particular people um, for economic gain based on a, a racial. Right, right, uh, right. Exactly. So I'm, I'm actually I'm glad you brought up deconstruction because that was going to be uh, one of my one of my next mm-hmm. questions. Um, I'd be curious to hear kind of is that something that you're seeing um, in in your own ministry? Is that something that you've wrestled with as well? Like tell me tell me kind of your you know that that's kind of like you said that's all the rage for for college and, and young Christians now is deconstruction. Right. So wow. yeah, so yeah, so uh, I know for me about three or four years ago. 
Um, I, I went through like a, for about a year and a half, like a, a little bit of a deconstruction type, uh, or I had a deconstructing moment, if you will, mm-hmm. um, where I was questioning things. I was listening to a bunch of podcasts. I was reading a bunch of books um, and just kind of like thinking through, okay, like this is what I've been taught. This is what I've learned in Reformed Theology. Um, is this actually true? Is this, is this actually lined up with um with the scriptures, with um, what Jesus emphasizes. And a lot of my questions were centered around justice and mm-hmm. uh, God's care for the vulnerable and the least of these. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, God cares, like he cares about people who've been abused and harmed even by his own people, by the church. Um, and so I went through my own kind of like deconstruction. And I think um, what got me to the other side of it was, man, for about a about six months, man, I kid you not, I literally read through the book of Matthew and I just like focused on the person of Jesus Mm. and literally like I just I I mean circled every time I saw Jesus every time I saw like I read that he he taught something or he did something I just focused for like six months on who he who he was and what he did Um, and honestly man doing that really honestly like saved my faith because um, I was able to see that um, man Jesus like the church, obviously the church is always going to be imperfect. The church is always going to, um, because the church is, you know, full of sinners and full of imperfect people, the church is always going to be this place of beauty and this place of, of messiness, right? And then both can, can exist at the same time and that's okay. Um, but the, the, the things that kind of help us kind of meet in the middle is the person and work of Jesus, like who he is, like he, I think helps brings it, bring it together. And so uh, honestly, man, through focusing on him, like, uh, and then also I would say, man, like um, reading people, like I mentioned early on, uh, reading people outside of my tribe also really helped me to see that like, oh man, like our faith is really big. Um, And it's for sure bigger than white evangelicalism like it's, it it is it is way bigger than that a, you know? yeah that's a footnote on like oh yeah two thousand years of christian history. oh my goodness i mean it is it's it, like like it's, it is a footnote i mean it is a dot in what in the in the story and purposes of god and so man when i really started reading started listening to different people man i i, I gained a, a more holistic understanding of the scriptures more nuanced uh understanding of the scriptures um and i saw that god uh it was around that time also where i got uh really passionate about social justice and about justice issues and i saw that god really does care um about injustice and he really does care about the black experience um and like the bible speaks to these things and so that really helped me to kind of get to the other side of deconstruction so like i said before it was really me um reading the whole bible that saved my faith, saved my faith. Like one of the things I oftentimes I think about, man, I think about some of these like really hardcore reform Calvinists, uh, like Southern Baptist dudes. And I always think about, man, for them, I honestly do believe that they only read the pastoral epistles. <laughs> like, like they, they only, honestly, <laughs> like, like literally, I, I feel like they only read those passages um, because when I was when I was in that culture, I really focused in on First, Second Timothy, Romans, Titus, Romans. Yeah, like this is like <laughs> Romans nine. Like this is it right here, Ephesians one. Um, and it wasn't until me I started reading the whole Bible and started reading uh, and well, got an appreciation for the Old Testament, the deep dive in the Old Testament, and just saw the overarching story of what God is doing in the world. 
um, and his kingdom, man, that, that really just gave me a broader understanding of, um, man, just of God, of Jesus, what he's doing in his church, what he's doing with this kingdom, how he's going to renew all things. I mean, it just gave me a bigger picture than the little kind of small picture that I had um, that really didn't hold any weight, again, in my, my lived experience. Because, man, I mean, what led me into deconstruction, honestly, man, was the fact that I had this theology and I had these, you know, these doctrines that I knew and that I understood, but again, it was having no kind of effect on my lived experience. Mm -hmm. Like there was a huge disconnect between, okay, okay, so I know God is sovereign, but then like I'm counseling this kid who just lost, uh, you know, his mom. Okay, like how do I, how do I, how do I reconcile God? Like, do I tell him that like, hey man, like it was God's, God kills your good mom. Yeah, like, like, do I do I tell him that? Do I like? And then it really, I mean, it made me wrestle because it's like I'm like, okay, like this got to be a more pastoral way to pastor this kid through this tragic right. event um, than just kind of like throwing you everything know, happens for a reason. Yeah, yeah, you know, throwing theological hand grenades. Right. Exactly. Like it, it has to be a better way. So, um, so yeah, man. So that's kind of what. That's kind of like my, my story of deconstruction. And then honestly, man, it was interesting with uh, at least so the students in our ministry, um, I haven't experienced a lot of deconstruction in our, in our students per se, which has actually been kind of surprising because um, yeah. a lot of our students are, um, are new believers in our ministry. A, a lot of them are like, they're, they're coming to know Jesus and they're coming from either church backgrounds where they really weren't following Jesus or they're coming from no church background, they're being introduced to the gospel and to Jesus and they're following him. Yeah. And so uh, we're not seeing a ton of like stories of deconstruction, but I will say on the HBCU context, there is a lot of questions around, again, like I said, justice, black identity. Um, and a lot of those kids did grow up in church and a lot of them are asking big questions of, okay, like what does God have to say about mm -hmm. like my black experience, social justice, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, that's where I would I would say that like a lot of them are not necessarily deconstruction deconstructing, but they, they have a lot of questions though around yeah. you know racial issues and justice and everything like that. And I think that's that's such an important distinction because this is just something that I've I've noticed is that I think I think students at who I think white students at PWIs and really um, a variety of students, but particularly white students that go away to college are are asking a lot of the same questions that they're non-white peers are asking in, in regards to race right. they're like well I don't want to be a part of this thing but then there's also like a lot of the students that I work with even if they wouldn't call themselves Christian like you said they would still acknowledge the existence of a god and, right. and be like yeah this is a good thing blah, blah blah like I appreciate whereas like you get white students who might be like I don't think there's a god or I think there's many different like higher powers or, or, or something like that and so I think it's an important distinction there to draw is that like you'll see deconstruction is obviously a, a, a varied experience for right. for many different kinds of people and it takes on different flavors based on the community that you're in because yeah. the community is going to have different questions right. and a lot of so it's like a lot of times people in the HBCU context aren't asking about like you said I think you said it earlier they're not asking if there is a god they're right. asking, is that God good? Or is that God just like a whitewashed deity? Right, right. Is he, is he, is he just, is he fair? Right. Does he care about equality? All those things. I mean, one thing, man, I always, uh, always say is that like social justice is the apologetic of our day. Like yep. social justice, I think 
Um, and this is why for me, like, man, a lot of my writing and stuff, like, I, I, I mean, I, Lord willing, I, I would love to spend the next 10, 20 years, like, writing about social justice as an apologetic for the next generation. Because I think, I think their, their questions, man, are centered around, especially for Black Christians, it's like, is God just, and like, like, is he, is, and, and, and not only is God just, but what is he doing to actively fight against Mm-hmm. the like the present and ju- like does he have something to right. say about police uh brutality does he have something to say about how the police should function and and be in these communities like is he saying something about the wealth gap is he doing something uh about uh you know um mass housing insecurity mass incarceration like all the, like and so like um for me like man, i i, I want to lord willing spend my days like showing the Bible has a lot to say about this. The Bible directly speaks into this. Um, and so, yeah, so. Yeah, amen, bro. So kind of in, in that direction, um, you know, so we, we talked about it earlier, Gen Z, huge focus on justice. I mean, they are, they are mm-hmm. gung-ho, they're all in for it. In, in your ministry, how have you kind of approached the topic of justice with students in a way that, um, is seeking to, again, like speak to the full counsel of what right. God says about justice, but also maybe avoiding some of the, I mean, and I, I struggle to say this because I feel like sometimes we can be very, like the whole right, right. thing to me is just, oh, yeah. is so, Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, it's so silly to me. Like, I think yeah, it's, yeah. Like, you, if it works, learn, learn good stuff from it. <laughs> right, right. Like, I'm just like, be on our merry way. Uh, right. But having, having been in an institution where, students kind of justice almost became like their that was kind of like their faith essentially right right everything they did was oriented around this thing and it was they had to always be angry about Mm -hmm. whatever was going on and they had to be you know uh like attacking the right people Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and so it's like how how have you helped or worked to help students think about justice in a way that is holistic and right and and all encompassing of of various you know theories of justice and and right. of justice in the world without like completely abandoning what scripture says or what the gospel says. Yeah, no, that's good, man. I think so. It's funny, man. Um, you know, uh, I don't know that much about CRT, but what I do know is I think if we would spend more time on building a biblical foundation or framework for what social justice is we wouldn't have to, like, we could ignore <laughs> CRT or whatever other theory that comes out because we have, because we have a theological framework for what social justice is. I think in many ways, man, it's sad because we, I think we've allowed uh, the debate around CRT, the divide around CRT to hijack, um, man, the, the, the theological framework that we should have for social justice, man. And really, man, it's, honestly, it's, it's, I, I would argue that it's the work of the, it's the work of the devil that he yep. has been, been able to deceive so many believers into getting swept into that argument that we've completely neglected the job of actually building something that is reflected in the scriptures, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think for me, man, I'm right now, like I'm, I'm working on a talk that uh, I'm giving at, uh, at our discipleship summer city project thing on biblical justice, where uh, basically I'm going to be helping build a theological argument and framework for what social justice is, man. So one of the things that I, have done with our students at Central and then what I'll be doing this summer with our students um, in Summit College is helping them to see, one, that the gospel and that Jesus, number one, speaks 
on justice. Like he has something to say about justice. He, his, his, the start of his ministry, Luke four is him saying the spirit is upon him and he, he's come to proclaim uh, freedom to the prisoners, right? To give sight to the blind. Like it's the, it's the, it's the, the year of the Lord's favor, favor where he's uh, quoting Isaiah 61, like embedded in the ministry of Jesus mm-hmm. um, is, is uh, understanding of justice work of social justice. Um, also uh, hel- helping students to see that like, uh, justice is connected, man, to mission. Where we, we if we look into Isaiah, we look into uh, even I think it's Matthew twelve eight. I think don't quote me on that, but even in the book of Matthew, where uh, Jesus says, "Hey, I'm I'm the light to the Gentiles," right? And and he's quoting the uh, the Old Testament. He's quoting Isaiah, where Isaiah is saying, uh, "Justice will be will literally be the doorway to getting the gospel around the world to the Gentiles." Um, and that Jesus is going to like personify that, right? He's going to bring healing to the blind. He's going to free the captives and set the prisoners free and all that kind of stuff. And so justice literally is, is a part of the gospel narrative. It's part of the gospel story. And so helping, as I, one of the, the big things is helping students to see that justice is literally intertwined in the story of the scriptures, literally is a part of it. It's, a, it's just like, uh, you know, just like uh, evangelism, prayer uh, is a part of what we're doing as Christians. Mm-hmm. Justice is a part of what we're doing as Christians. Uh, one, another big thing that I'm big on is integrating justice into our discipleship. So if you, yeah. if you look at any type of like discipleship curriculum, right, you're going to see things about prayer. You're going to see, see things about evangelism, fasting, praying for other people, confessing sin, fighting sin. You're going to see all this stuff. Suddenly, are you going to see something about doing and seeking justice? But one of the most clear commandments in the scriptures is seek and do justice. Like everyone talks about like the Bible is clear. It says this will do it. Well, okay. Well, the Bible is pretty clear. (laughs) Right. 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 The Bible is really clear. Like (laughs) seek and do justice. Like you don't get any clearer than that. Right. And so I think, um, man, I, I think helping students to see that like a part of your discipleship to Jesus means seeking and doing justice, like literally being connected to your community, engaging your community, serving your community, uh, and not just doing volunteer work, but like really thinking long and hard about, man, what are some ways that I can help correct oppression, right? Like Isaiah 117 says, I think where it says like correct oppression, right? Solve it, like get involved into the work of correcting issues that are going all around. And, and one, one big thing that I think students, or one way that students I think can do this, because oftentimes a lot of people ask questions like, okay, so I know that justice is important, but what should I do? How should I do it? Right. A big thing, man, is like, I think a big opportunity that they have is doing it through their careers. Um, you know, how can, uh, if you are working, you know, as a community organizer, like how can you help that community? Uh, how can you serve that community, help that and, and kind of help you know, solve the problems that are in that community. Like there's so many different things that can happen uh, with students in their jobs where they can actually work for justice in their careers, whether they're lawyers or doctors or engineers. Um, you know, one thing that uh, I'm reading a book right now by Sho Baraka, it's called, and, and he saw that it was good. It's a really good book or recommend it. One of the things he talks about is um, in our careers, we're all creating either a just world or a world that uh, is, you know, not flourishing, that's not good. Mm-hmm. And he's like, man, we all have the opportunity every single day through our vocation to create a just and good world that helps people to flourish. And so I think, man, helping students connect their careers to the work of justice and seeing like, man, you can leverage that for 
um, to help people flourish and help, um, you know, bring relief to those who are suffering injustice and things like that. And so uh, those are some things, man, I've done. Like we, uh, last semester, we did a Jesus and Justice Bible study um, for our students where uh, we talked a lot about how uh, Jesus and justice, like it, they work together, like they're not separated. Um, you know, we talked about how, uh, man, like in the gospel, the gospel itself shows us that God cares about justice, right? Because Jesus died on the cross, right? So that he could bring justice to God so that we could come to know him, like literally is embedded in the, the story of the gospel. Um, and so, man, I, like I tell, I tell everyone I know, man, justice is uh, a central part of the story of God, of the story of the gospel, um, just like any other topic is evangelism, prayer, whatever, and fasting, like justice should be a core, core, core thing um, that we're doing. Like we should integrate it into our everyday discipleship. So, so I'm, I'm talking a lot, but yeah. <laughs> no, you're so good. I'm really bummed. I wish we had more time because you just yeah. scratched on like justice <laughs> and vocation and, and oh, there's so many, there's yeah. like so many things I want to like dive into. Cause that's, I think that's, it's such a thing that we miss where we, we divide things into sacred and secular. Mm -hmm. And then we, and you know, when you think about justice, justice is making wrong things, right. And then right. when you look at the full scope of the gospel, that's what the gospel is about is about making wrong things right and so it's right like, so you can't pull out justice from that it's it's in it's integral to, to right that um to, man, to christian story right and 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 man just to add one more thing uh uh I, I think also we have to understand that we you know as christians like we want we want people to hear the gospel we want people to hear about what jesus has done for them um and one way that we can help them hear about jesus is by putting them in positions to hear about Jesus, right? It's, it's hard to listen to a story when your stomach is, you know, empty, right? Or it's hard to, to want, it's hard to uh, uh, get to church when you don't have any transportation, you have no way of getting there. And, you know, like, I mean, like, so like we have, I think part of uh, doing the work of justice is making the, the path a little easier so that uh -huh. people can actually hear yeah. the gospel and hear about what Jesus has done for them. That's so good, man. All right. As we, as we start to wrap up, I have one uh, quick Pandora's box that I want to open yeah. up, which is um, so one of the things that I've definitely noticed over my time of working with college students, both in, in grad school um, and now, now as a professional is just the rise of like technology and how yeah. technology in addition to you know justice being a huge part i think technology mm -hmm. is so yeah. integrated into how gen z operates and how they communicate how they organize how they how they live their lives um mm. and in some ways that's really amazing like they have endless opportunities for connection but it also i think on uh for people like us who are who are trying to minister to college students what does that look like um for a lot of times like that looks like really complicated um, questions being asked and, and, you know, tricky, you know, finding uh, ways to navigate like these tricky situations in terms of technology and stuff like that. And just how that's rapidly changing um, and just how mm. culture is just constantly reinventing itself and, and new things are coming up and students have unprecedented access information. So with all of that going on, what have, what have been some things that you've been thinking about um, in your own ministry for, how we meet students in that particular medium or, mm -hmm. or how we help students think better about that particular medium. 
Yeah, no, that's really good. Um, man, so this has actually played a really pivotal role in my own spiritual formation um, is my relationship with my phone. And um, in no way am I perfect in this area, but uh, voices like Rich Velotis, John Mark Homer, um, John Tyson, they have been really influential in my own kind of like discipleship and understanding like the phone, technology, you know, the digital landscape or whatever. And so I think uh, when it comes to students, man, um, I preached a sermon at our winter conference this past year. And um, it was actually part of my sermon was on um, digital addiction or how, how do we how do we deal with our technology and our phones and everything like that. And one of the things that I've learned, man, from John Mark and others is, uh, man, we, we have to treat our, our phones and our technology um, as tools um, to be used for good, um, right? Um, I think uh, it's no secret that, uh, you know, millennials and, ne- and the next generation, Generation Z, are, is plagued with depression, anxiety, and obviously there's so many reasons for that, um, right? Uh, mental health is really important. And like, there's obviously, again, a variety of different reasons why someone might struggle with anxiety or depression or, or whatever. Um, but I, mean, I would say one big thing that um, I think has been proven through hundreds of articles and data is that our phones plays a huge role um, in our uh, issues with anxiety and depression, right? Um, if, you know, if you're spending your whole day scrolling or um, you're just like always on your phone, um, that, that's going to have an effect on um, just on your happiness, on your joy, on your peace, all that. And so one of the big things, man, that uh, I talk to our students about a lot is uh, doing like a Sabbath away from your phone for um, uh, 24 hours or if not 24 hours, maybe for six hours or three hours, like just taking breaks from your phone um, and picking up a book or going on a walk, um, just like treating your phone as a tool and also almost like treating your phone like a pet, like putting it putting it down for for specific times to so that you can rest from it so that you can be away from it so um, that you can create healthy habits and rhythms that are going to help you live the kind of abundant life of peace and joy that Jesus um, is that Jesus wants us to live. And so, man, I think um, obviously in, in a ministry, obviously you want to leverage technology for, you know, getting resources out or live stream, all of that's really good. But I think one of the things we've seen through the pandemic, early, it's funny, early on the pandemic, every church, every leader was like, new possibilities. We're, you know, we're going to live stream. And it's going to be great. But, but I think by like June, we were like, okay, like this is, technology is cool. But at the end of the day, like we need to be, we're, 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 we're human beings. We're, we need to be with each other. <laughs> um, you know, it, 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 Zoom is great, but you know, there's only so much you can do talking to someone through a screen. And so, um, and so I think, man, we've, we've learned that like we need, when we need community um, and our phones can't really provide the kind of community that we were created and designed to, to need and to experience. Um, and so I think, man, students having, taking breaks from their phones, I think them um, even having a plan in place for how they're going to even um, like use their phone during the day. So something that um, I've done in the past is, uh, you know, having uh, like a certain amount of like hours that I can use my phone, like on an iPhone, like you can have restricted hours or whatever. So I've like, okay, I'm gonna do three hours of social media, four hours for text messaging or whatever a day. And when that time is up, I'm done, you know, or setting my phone up and setting a, a timer on and being like, okay, at 930 at every night, 
my phone is shut down, I'm done, it's in the drawer, you know, whatever, buying an alarm clock and putting the phone in another room or downstairs so that the first thing, you know, you're doing in the morning is not getting on your phone and checking Twitter or Instagram or whatever. And again, I'm not perfect in this area. We're, we're all, um, the phone is very addicting. It is it's very easy to be looking on Instagram. If, if anyone follows me on Instagram, like I'm, I'm on it all the time. I'm always posting stories, but um, I've tried to find a good rhythm and good and healthy practices so that the phone isn't like ruling my life, but I'm again, treating my phone as a tool and almost like a, like a pet or child. I think it's Andy Crouch who said that like, our, you know, we should treat our phones like children. It should have a bedtime. You know, there should be rules. There should be things in place that, um, so that we're controlling the phone and the phone is not controlling us. And so um, I think, and, I, and honestly, man, I think the next generation, I actually saw an article the other day and I wish I could remember where it was. It might've been the Washington Post, but, uh, or man, I wish I could remember what it was, but um, they were saying how they did some research. They were saying how the next generation, um, they're actually looking for, they're looking to have a better work-life balance, balance between working hard, but also having fun and resting well. And so I actually think, man, even though the next generation um, grew up with an iPhone in their hand, I actually think they're looking for ways to have a better relationship with their phone so that, um, you know, because again, they really care about, you know, they care about justice, but they also care about mental health. They care about, you know, issues of anxiety and depression. So I think they're looking for ways to, to, to deal with the, the digital world and technology in healthy and good ways that are going to help them flourish um, and live a life of, of peace and joy that Jesus, again, wants us to live. So, um, yeah. That's awesome, man. Thanks so much for, um, for, you know, talking about that. I think it's just such a huge um, issue for, for everyone, but I think particularly for the coming generation, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be absolutely crucial in how we handle that. Well, Charles, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. This was an awesome conversation. And I didn't know that I had a fellow Virginian uh, on. And so <laughs> good to meet yeah. fellow person oh, thank DMV. For uh, sure. No, man. I, it's a small world, man. I thank you for, for having me, man. I love what you're doing. Uh, I follow your work. And um, I think man, what you're doing is really, really dope. Um, and again, I think you're you're providing that that beautiful orthodox orthodoxy and, and orthopraxy that I think is just really needed in our in our world today man um especially in the, in the, in the Christian world and so um I appreciate you inviting me on man absolutely all right everyone well thank you for tuning in and we will catch you next time on the orthodoxical podcast <laughs>